Honestly, I was kind of afraid of guns at first. Like, I wasn't really confident with them. Me and Jason Matzinger were actually having this conversation the other day about how how we need to reform and redo hunter safety. It should be not just hunter safety, it should be teaching archery, teaching weapon safety, teaching animal identification. That's another thing too that I'm very fortunate to have is my job kind of prepares me for hunting season. Um, navigating kind of in the backcountry for six months at a time. We're pretty much living in the bush on the ground. So one of the states that I found that was really nice that had a lot of over-the-counter opportunities was Idaho. They have mountain lion, bear, blacktail, whitetail, mule deer, elk, antelope. There's so much training that you have to do even before the fire season starts. You have to make sure you use elevation. You have to make criticals. You have to make sure that you're training and you show up like work ready because if you can't keep up with the crew you're just going to hold them back i'm known as like the nomad so my plans change like on a monthly basis i would say hey guys this is lexi quinn with life beyond limits official and you're listening to living country in the city y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit straight from the concrete jungle well put down your latte and pull on your boots it's time for living country in the city Hey y'all, welcome to episode 67 of Living Country in the City. You know, I honestly can't say enough how much I appreciate all y'all that subscribe and tune in each week to listen to the podcast. A year ago, I really wouldn't have expected that this would ever grow to what it is now, and that's because of all y'all. I can't say thank you enough, so keep sharing with your friends, keep tuning in each week, Uh, make sure you've hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So getting to today's episode, once again, back at the Western Hunt Expo, I got a chance to sit down with my good friend Lexi Quinn. She is an outdoors woman, a wilderness firefighter. And we got a chance to talk about hunting and her life as a nomad. Had a lot of fun talking to her as the Hunt Expo is winding down. So hope you all enjoy this episode. We are here. It is officially after the uh, Western Hunt and Conservation Expo. We are hanging out in the lobby right behind a... uh, Is that a mule deer? I can't tell from the front. I'm assuming that's big enough to be a mule deer. It looks like a whitetail. 
Is it? I don't know. I've really <laughs> never like seen either up close, so. It's a little less chaotic out here than inside where everybody's breaking down, running their tail off. Yep, but uh, final podcast of the the expo here on Sunday. Having a good time. I'm hanging out with my good friend Lexi Quinn of Life Beyond Limits. And uh, we just felt like kicking back and talking a little bit about hunting and the outdoors and... And all of that good stuff. But um, Lexi, thanks so much for sitting down. And yeah, no problem. Gives you an excuse to get out and not have to help tear down a booth, too, yeah, right? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> out of the chaos. I've been in it all for the past eight shows, so oh, I'm geez. ready to be done now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I always like to start out with just kind of your background. How did you first start getting interested into hunting and and you have a little bit different of a background than oh, yeah. probably some of some of my guests but but let's start with the hunting aspect of it like how did you first initially get into hunting so when i was younger i grew up in central wisconsin just south of green bay um my dad was always rifle hunted so it was me and my brother my sister and my dad that would go out when i was younger um and then when I was about 12 I joined a club and got into archery and was pretty good at it so I stuck with it kept um going to the club meetings every Wednesday night and then started shooting more and more and I finally got my own bow started doing 3D tournaments and going around to the local archery shops for tournaments stuff like that so I kind of just went from there um I moved down to Missouri with my mom when I was like 16 and then I got a job at Mega Sports as a bow tech um, one of my coworkers taught me everything I know about bows, from the science to it, for how they work, how to fix them. And then I started bow hunting when I was about 16. So kind of went off on my own by myself, wherever I could, public land, friends land, private land. And I've been kind of going, traveling on my own and hunting on my own ever since. So, so it's kind of a unique, uh, unique direction. It's not often people skip rifle completely and go straight yeah. into bow hunting. Yeah. But you have all that have all that archery background, all of all of that, and um, what was it? Uh, I don't know. What was it that really drew you to archery initially? Um, honestly, I was kind of afraid of guns at first. <laughs> like I wasn't really <laughs> confident with them, and I didn't really have a lot of. I didn't, my dad didn't really have much time because you know it was just he was working a ton, didn't have a lot of time to like go out and shoot. Plus, we didn't have our own land or anything. We didn't have a cabin that most people in Wisconsin had or anything like that. So we didn't have a lot of opportunities to go out and shoot because there wasn't a lot of gun ranges in the area. And I was really good at archery, and it was something that I felt that I was good at on my own. Um, I liked the challenge of it. I liked the science behind it. I liked the old school part of it. Um, I'm part native, too, so it kind of made me get closer to my roots, I guess, to be able to do something like that. It was Plus, my parents never did it, so I thought that was pretty cool that it, I knew how to do something that they didn't. So, maybe a little, little, definitely a little, oh, yeah. a little yeah. pride in learning something. Yeah. I mean, you know, to some extent, that's one of the things I love about getting into hunting too. Is I don't have any background in it, and I, I do take pride in the fact that, you know, especially if you can teach yourself. Like, yeah, it's more rewarding when you spend all the time learning yourself, and it's not just something that is an automatic thing. It's something that you work for, something that you can get better at. And it's something that is really, tr- it's really true to you, and it means more to you when you put so much time and effort into it yourself. So, no, absolutely. So, were you pretty much solely compound bow or um, recurve compound, traditional? I've done traditional. Um, I was so there was a lot of trade shows um, in Wisconsin, 
especially in the area that I lived in. So I was that nerdy girl with braces that had her little Fred Bearbo walking around. <laughs> there was like a pop-up tournament that they did, and I ended up winning twice, and then that's kind of how I got my name out there, I guess. I won like a cool little plaque, so I thought I, I, thought I was cool, you know. I was 16. <laughs> I was a girl. Nobody, girls don't typically hunt, especially not that long ago. I mean, there's a lot more women in it now, but then it was kind of not really heard of that much, so I thought it was pretty cool. So you got into archery, started hunting at 16 and trying to get away from people. I think we've had plenty of discussions oh, that, yeah. that neither of us like people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially after a long weekend with Being doing craziness. nothing yeah. but interacting with yeah. mass amounts of yeah. complete strangers. Um, but so, you know, you, you started uh, getting into hunting, getting away from people. What, uh, what then takes you from then to now? So from then to now, I have pretty much been a part of the hunting industry. Like I said, when I was younger, I just walked around all the trade shows by myself. So people started to recognize my face. And then I'm a very outgoing person. I've never been extremely shy. So I just talked to everybody, talked to them about their product. I bought a ton of stuff, wasted all my money on like shirts <laughs> and random bow stuff and stuff like that. So kind of just got to talking to people. Um, I'm, like I said, pretty outgoing. So I was able to help a couple companies with like sales. So I would just work people's booths for them for a couple of years. And that's how I got more involved, more opportunities with hunting um, in different states as well as Wisconsin. So I've been like Ohio, Tennessee, South Carolina, all over the Midwest and the West. Um, I didn't actually get out West until two years ago when I accepted my job as a wildland firefighter i moved to utah last year so now not only was i self-taught in waterfall with the help of my friends so i would go out with them learned how to scout learned how to set decoys i'm still learning how to call i can goose call okay (laughs) i can't duck call to save my life which usually it's the other way around so i'll be sitting in my car on a long road trip trying to practice my calls and people are looking at me like i'm (laughs) I'm weird so oh i do the same thing with the elk calls and (laughs) It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun when you're in really heavy traffic and you got the windows down in the oh, yeah. in the car and people next to you, you see them and you know they're just dead and looking forward, not paying attention. You rip off a bugle and all of a sudden they just about jump out of their pants and are looking where mm-hmm. that thing came from, thinking they're getting attacked by some bird or something. Right. But or if uh, you're sitting in a hotel room and all of a sudden the goose call or the duck call goes off. So. Oh, it's too good. But when I, yeah, so trade shows mostly. I've been doing the trade show circuit since I was about 16, so about eight eight years now. Um, I've moved, I kind of started to become a nomad, I guess, with like traveling all over. I've moved all over also. I've lived in Missouri, Wisconsin, Ohio. Now I'm living in Colorado, so... Now it's a whole new ball game when it comes to hunting. No more mule, no more whitetail and ducks and upland birds. Now it's elk and antelope and mule deer. So it's kind of scary because I have no idea what I'm doing with my job. I've got the hiking and navigating part down, but as far as everything else, I have no idea how to use an elk call. I don't even know what they call it, but it's a big horn that you blow into. The bugle tube. The bugle tube. Or, I mean, a lot of different names for them, grunt tube, bugle tube, yeah. but yeah. I have to figure out how to learn that Thank. Thankfully, Christy Titus hooked me up with a couple calls in a tube, and I got to watch some of her videos, and she's going to help me out. So that's going to be fun. It's, uh, you know, I had picked up before, about this time last year, I had picked up my first diaphragm call, and next month is the ISE show here in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, I'd, I've talked about this before. I thought I was actually coming to this show, and I bought the wrong tickets. But, uh, 
I ran into Christy there, and I, you know, I, I was walking around with one diaphragm call, but I went and talked with her and Rocky mm-hmm. Jacobson, and you know, I didn't know who Rocky was at the time either, but I just knew he was some nice guy that knew a lot mm-hmm. about elk calls, and so you know, I sat and talked with the two of them, and same kind of like they sat down and helped me, and I, you know, I could make a little bit of noise with it because I, I'd used it's kind of like a turkey call. I yeah, guess. I'd use I'd used them before. We had them in Venice Beach, like they were these little noisemaker things. They were just to be obnoxious. And so I knew how to make noise with one. I didn't so know how to good now? do anything. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, um, I did a, you know, I did a podcast with Corey Jacobson and Jason Phelps. It basically, where the whole gist of it was, my bugling and my elk calling is so bad. I need basically two of the top guys in the in when oh, it comes yeah. to that to uh, to fix me. But and actually, that might be a good one for you to listen to because we oh, yeah, we really absolutely. go through it. I mean, uh, admittedly, you know, we went through it as basic as like, okay, I've got this thing which sides up you know i was stuck in the dark energy booth all weekend so i unfortunately didn't get to go to Corey's seminar i heard it was packed full of people people were standing sitting i think it was out the door so i'll have to catch up with them somehow and get some advice watch the watch the video afterwards too go check that out i'm sure there's a video of it somewhere oh yeah but uh it's just it's it's very unique and it's it's fun to talk to someone else that's like that's kind of like almost in the same spot that I am where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you, I admittedly you have a little bit more background in it than I, than I do. You've done some hunting, but I mean, it's a, it's a different beast getting oh into my gosh. Yeah. the big yeah. game and uh, there's so much to learn and there's just so many rules that you don't even think of. Like just looking at it on the legal standpoint, like you have to put in for preference points, you have to draw tags in certain areas. Some States are over the counter, some like, tags are non-resident some are really expensive some area you're dealing with massive amounts of land instead of like in the midwest where it's like oh here's a couple you know 10 anywhere from 10 to 100 acres of of woods and now you're dealing with like thousands and thousands of acres of blm and forest service land that's unreal to even think about how much land there is and now you're trying to navigate through it and have the time you don't have service you're dealing with mountains you're dealing with different pressures and especially when it comes to like elevation and stuff you have to train your body to it mm-hmm. which i'm also not used to living in evergreen colorado it kind of helps me out because i'm at 8500 feet so training for work make, allows me to get more used to the elevation that's another thing too that i'm very fortunate to have is my job kind of prepares me for hunting season especially now that i am out west a lot of hiking um, navigating kind of in the backcountry for six months at a time. We're pretty much living in the bush on the ground. So It's the training people do, but yeah. you're getting paid to do it. So oh, it's kind yeah. of it's, a... Hey, it's a win-win for me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, about your job as a wildland firefighter. Oh, it's, it's so <laughs> much fun. So I started when I was 16 on a volunteer department. And then when I was 18, I was like, well, I've got two years in. Might as well go to school for it. So I did. Um, spent five years going to school for structure, EMT, got every cert. That I could possibly get, um, ended up with a degree in applied fire science as a fire specialist. So I graduated about two years ago, um, worked on a department part-time, and then I kind of got sick of all the medical stuff. It, get, it just wears on you after a while, and I was more in it for the adrenaline and me being a pyro, I wanted more fire in my life, I guess. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what can I do different? Um, and there was a friend of mine that was talking about wildland, so I kind of piqued an interest about that, started taking some classes for that, and um, I 
had at the time I was going to school, I was graduated by May and then I was working a full-time job and then I was, you know, I was bartending. I had a house, I had my dog and I just woke up one morning and I was like, this, I need, I need something else. I want to do something else. This isn't enough. So I threw everything in a storage unit and I brought my dog to my mom's and she's been kind enough to watch her for me and I miss her every day. But I decided to take a job with the Forest Service in Utah working on an engine last year. And I've never been out west before. So, like, driving from Wisconsin out here, I was, like, looking out the window. I swear I almost wrecked at least five times. I couldn't stop staring at the mountains because I've never seen them before. Um, I had never been out west anywhere before. The farthest I've ever been was Montana, and I was, like, five years old. So I didn't remember much of it. Um, But I ended up in Colorado now. I worked a season last year. And it's it was very different um, you're working with a bunch of guys. Sometimes there's a couple girls, which is awesome. Um, just how they do things is so differently. It's just crazy. So the first time they asked me to sleep on the ground, I was like, okay, we'll set up a tent, have all my stuff in there. <laughs> I'm looking around me, and there's like, you know, I'm trying not to look like an idiot. I'm trying not to, I'm trying to look cool, you know. I want to look cool on my first fire crew. <laughs> I Especially know Especially with doing. a bunch I'm of guys. Super experienced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. So everybody else, like I'm setting up my tent and I look around me and everybody's setting up like hammocks and they're throwing out a tarp and a sleeping bag on the ground. And I was like, am I really, do I really have to sleep like this outside? Like, what if, what about the animals? What about the bears? What about the deer and the bugs and whatever? Like, I'm not a huge girly girl, so I don't really care about bugs, but it's, you know, if you go camping, you're typically in a tent. Yeah. So I wasn't going to be the only loser setting up a tent, so I just did what everybody else did. Um, we were doing a prescribed burn, so we just camped pretty close to where we were burning because it's just more convenient. Because when you're dealing with the mountains, that's another thing that you kind of have to learn is things are farther away. It takes You may be looking at the mountains, but it's going to take you three to four hours to get up there. So we just camp everywhere we go. Um, so I laid out my tarp in my sleeping bag and slept under the stars, and it was actually amazing. It's a feeling that I can't explain. Um, you kind of have to just do it, just the sounds and the experience. We woke up freezing our butts off. <laughs> so I definitely, I've run a, uh, a floorless tent. I run a, uh, Kafari sawtooth and I love that tent. That was a different experience. Definitely. It's a, it, you get used to a lot of things and same thing. Bugs don't really bother me. I mean, I obviously don't want any spiders or scorpions crawling in my boots oh, in yeah. Arizona or anything, yeah. but, uh, you gotta stuff your socks in your boots. Yep. That was one thing I did learn. Um, somebody warned me, they're like, if you don't want any creepy crawlers in your shoes, or if you don't want your shoes to disappear, you put them on top of your tarp with your socks in it so nothing can crawl in it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's going to be interesting. I wasn't even thinking about things crawling in my shoes until you told me to do that. Thanks. Thanks for that. I, uh, but I recently, I picked up a tarp tent, just a, you know, basic, like an A-frame yeah, tent. for yeah. Uh, you know, you use your trekking poles as as the tent pegs to save oh, on weight. I didn't and think of that. See, new things you learn every day. And this is my first time ever trying one. I didn't really know how to set it up. I, you know, I I've kind of tried it in my mm-hmm. apartment's front yard, and um, but it's, it's just there's something so cool about it because it's it's very it's similar useful. to just throwing out a tarp and yeah. Um, and doing that because you you do get you get a lot more of the just the the nature noise of nature and the breeze and and all of that and I remember this was this was just this January and I I ran it two weekends for the first time and just laid there in my in my 
Big Agnes mummy bag and Big um, Agnes is pretty good. Yeah, and I just I just sat there and watched the stars and that was actually a really cool trip for me too because I, I mean, talking about fire, I, you know, I've built fires as a campfires as my whole life as a kid. You know, we'd oh, go yeah. camping and yeah. it is what it is. You know, you yeah, go to the fire pit. Yeah, but we're used to like, camping and like oh, I'm used to camping, big RVs and campers, pop up campers, stuff like that. So I never really got the tent experience as a kid yeah plus you have these big big massive heavy tents and what we use in the forest service is just like 60 second tents which wasn't actually that hard to set up because it's similar to like a turkey blind and i tried to explain that to a couple guys out there and they're like what's a turkey blind (laughs) and i was like okay (laughs) i was like well it pretty much just pops up the top and then out the side so it's pretty simple um we're usually in a hurry in the morning so we'll wake up at like six in the morning go to brief like we'll have a breakfast we'll have a crew briefing you'll send a couple guys so the whole crew doesn't go but you'll send your supervisors and the lead roles to go listen to the briefing and then you'll get briefed afterwards as to what your duties are for that day so as like far as fire season works we're usually on the line for two weeks at a time we'll get a couple days of travel depending on how far we are from home base and then you get two r&r days whether you r&r in place or whether you go home or not so you're pretty much like if you if you live away from where your duty station is, you're looking at no social life all summer. So you're going to be sacrificing all that time. Because realistically, you're only getting like any... I probably averaged four days off a month last season. From May until the end of October. So you pretty much have to sacrifice your summer. No more fun, no more camping, no more boating, (laughs) no more jet skiing. Which is fine because I'm off the rest of the year. I get to go travel, I get to go hunt. Um... My job isn't easy at all. It's very, most of it's mental because you wake up at 5.45, you have five minutes. Like on on a hotshot crew, which is what I just got on now, you have five minutes to wake up, get dressed, pack your bag, throw it on the buggy, grab water, grab Gatorade for the day, and be ready to roll and go to breakfast, and then you get your assignment for the day. And we're literally boots on the ground all day long for 16 hours a day, like in the heat we have long green pants and a long yellow shirt so it's it's hot and you hike you have to hike fast and there's so much training that you have to do even before the fire season starts you have to make sure you used to elevation you have to make criticals you have to make sure that you're training and you show up like work ready because if you can't keep up with the crew you're just going to hold them back with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mean, talk about preparation for hunting season. Jeez. That's uh, that's some some serious stuff. Uh, you're definitely not going to be the person that's going to have trouble getting up before gray light to to hike out to a spot and be there mm-hmm. to be there to glass when when the sun's coming up. But but the best part about it is is you wake up in the morning and you you know you bust out your jet boil, you make your instant coffee, and I don't take my coffee black because I it's disgusting. I think I'm trying to <laughs> wean my way or get rid of my sugar intake completely because it's bad for you but 
So I typically don't have access to cream and sugar. So what we do is we have our instant coffee, heat up some water and just throw some hot chocolate in it or something. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to find another alternative because hot chocolate has a lot of sugar in it. So I've got, uh, well, one, if you haven't tried dark timber coffee, I haven't. Um, they make these, uh, they're basically kind of like tea bags mm-hmm. um, and you drop those in and it's just, it's fantastic because it's not freeze dried coffee. So it tastes about 10 times better. Yeah. And then uh, I use these things, uh, uh, called fat coffees and they're they if you've ever had bulletproof coffee with like the butter and the and the heavy cream oh yeah um, yeah so i'll do uh i'll do those and they're just these little tinfoil packages that uh how's it going guys uh there's just these little tinfoil packages and and they're they're preserved so you don't have to refrigerate them right and you pull them out you drop them drop them in the the coffee and the jet boil and it's Oh, they're tasty. I, I have to try that. So there's there's a lot of companies out there. Um, one of my good friends, um, Hot Chat Brewing, makes his own coffee, and he's got a lot of he's got a new system out there. It's like a French press. It's packable. It's small. It's lightweight because that's a huge thing for us is weight. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got different. He's got like a dark coffee, medium roast. He also has this like pour over system that goes over just a single cup, and it's so convenient because I don't know. I guess you don't think about it when it comes to making coffee out on the fire line, I guess. It gets kind of complicated. You get grounds in it. It doesn't taste as good. It's kind of watery. Yeah. But for, like, a really good cup of coffee, which we actually... If I don't have coffee in the morning and on the fire line, I am going to be crabby for the rest of the day. Like, that is <laughs> that is our, our go-go juice. So we, we need a good, strong cup of coffee. Uh, I definitely, I definitely recommend... Uh, I'll, send you, I'll send you a couple links oh, to, absolutely. like, Dark Timber and the Fat Coffee... Um, the dark timber. A you lot have to of people. Try hot shot brewing too. Okay, okay. I'm always, I'm always game for different. I, lo- I love little, Perfect. little treats and whatnot. But uh, I actually end up taking those. I'll take those a lot of the time if I'm like rushing out of the house to mm-hmm. work and I don't have time to do We're the full French press and, and grind. Or if I'm going to the archery range or whatever, and I don't want to sit and, and wait for it, I'll just grab a couple of those. Uh, they're called ascent the packs. I'll, I'll drop them in. You know, I have the boiling water, and I run out. And by the time I get to the office, I got it's ready to go. Fresh brewed coffee. Sometimes you got to kind of squeeze them out a little bit, otherwise it will be a little oh, weak. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you just use whatever More utensil flavor. you got. And all right, so uh, getting into hunting, you've never gone big game hunting before. I no. I mean, I went bear hunting in Canada once, but that's tree stand baiting kind of, you know, similar to the Midwestern style. But as far as like spot stock or running and gunning up the mountain, no, haven't even packing in the whole, whole thing. You've never done that. Never packed out an animal. I've never gutted an, I mean, I've got a deer out in the field, but nothing like as big as an elk or an antelope or anything like that. So we're going into 2018. Have you have you started uh, figuring out your uh, what you want to do, where you want to hunt, what oh, you want to yeah. draw? So I am probably going to end up hunting at home, back home in Colorado, um, depending on when I get laid off for fire season, which this year I just took a position in Northern California in the Modoc National Forest on a hotshot crew. So we're going to be extremely busy this year. Um, so who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how fire season is going to end up? how busy we're going to get. Um, so I could get laid off anywhere from mid-September to the end of December. So I'm kind of playing it by ear. I'm going to try to elk hunt in towards Evergreen, Colorado, I guess. Somewhere somewhere in Colorado I'll end up. Um, I'm also going to hunt with a couple friends in Wyoming for mule deer and antelope. So 
I am going to be working with a friend of mine when I get home from trade show season to figure out how preference points work, how putting in works because i think you have to do it by may some sometimes i think it's even by april so well so yeah and each state's going to be different yep and and this is where and you know i've talked uh, i did a recent podcast with the guys over at go hunt um and we talked a lot about this and and it's it's tough because i was kind of in the same spot where i'm like i, I just want to focus on these one things but right. um you know you got in as of the day we're recording this, it's February 11th. Uh, on the 13th, the elk, uh, I believe elk and antelope draw closes for Arizona. Right. And that's that's one of those ones, you know, that um, you might want to look into putting in for. Um, and it opens up buying that buying that license. I, I People are probably sick of me preaching about this tag, but I love it so much. Yeah, you know, you, you have to buy that license. Mm-hmm. And then... But that gives you the opportunity. You pick, you can pick up uh, late season archery tags, um, and that uh, that archery tag is good for January. Uh, any deer, mule deer or coos deer, in January, and uh, in early, I believe, in August when they're in velvet, okay. and all through December. Yeah. So, See, and that's what sucks for me is because I would love love to shoot something in velvet, but it's never right really middle, realistic. Yeah. Our fire season doesn't slow down normally. I don't know about California, but normally it doesn't slow down until like September 15th. So we'll see. It's probably going to end up being later season, like end of October, November, something like that. Um, so I'm looking at, I think this year it's going to be Colorado, Wyoming, and maybe Northern California where I'm going to be stationed mm-hmm. for some waterfowl or something like that. I'll probably gun hunt um, back in Wisconsin during whitetail season, but I probably won't have time, so we'll see. I'm a bow hunter, so if I can shoot it with a bow, that's what I want to do. Um, I just picked up some new broadheads. I'm really excited to try them out. So we'll see what I end up with. I don't typically like to use a rifle unless it's unrealistic to use a bow, like distance-wise. And I want to make sure I get the ethical shot. So Absolutely. So what, uh, as far as kind of figuring out... Um figuring out the units you want to hunt, figuring out the states and the, the tags you want to put in for and kind of your strategy. Uh, have you started using any tools, anything like that? Um, I for sure use Onyx Maps right now. Um, I'm just going to stick to states that I've been to, and I kind of know what the terrain is going to be like and just talking to friends, and I'm going to have to do some scouting of my own, what I can do before I go. Um, I'm just going to stick with the states that I know for now. So Wyoming, probably Colorado, maybe Utah. We'll see. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a tough thing because I, I I was in that spot last year. I'm still in that spot this year where it's it's like okay, you know, I want to be able to focus on these yeah. things that I know. But then I know okay, I'm gonna want to be able to either hunt this other species or mm-hmm. hunt uh, this other state in in three years, in five years, in in 10 years. Um, Just from what I know, um, I kind of try to stick to states that's more reasonable, too, with a lot of public land. Colorado has a ton. Wyoming has a ton. Idaho has a ton. Um, A lot of your draw states are going to be like Arizona, New Mexico. Utah is really hard to draw on. Um, Montana. Wyoming can be pretty difficult to draw to. One of the states that I found that was really nice that had a lot of over-the-counter opportunities was Idaho. They have mountain lion, bear, blacktail, whitetail, mule deer, elk, antelope, everything that you can possibly think of. Plus, the prices are pretty pretty reasonable. And I've been in Idaho a ton, so I would probably 
have a general idea of where I would want to go. That's they have good. Miriam yeah. turkeys also, which is a dream bird of mine. <laughs> yeah, no, Idaho is uh, Idaho is an am- amazing spot with a great opportunity that that uh, really allows you to hunt every year. Yeah, and you know I've, I've talked about this before, and it's a, you know it's, it's good to think about. It's not as populated either, so yeah. you're not going to have a ton of hunters. Not like, like not that's as much a huge as like problem Colorado. that I've heard about. So I've never actually experienced it, obviously yet. But a lot of what people are saying, from what I've been told, is, yeah, I almost had the shot at an elk, but then two other hunters came in and busted us, which it happens when you're dealing with public land. But in Idaho, it's so it's not as populated as anywhere else. So Wyoming and Idaho, are, depending on where you are, is nowhere near as populated as other states. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want, if this is something you're passionate about, you definitely want to find somewhere that you can hunt every year. Um, the opportunity may not be quite as good. Uh, I mean, there's still amazing opportunity and you can have the ability to tag out every year if, you know, it's, it's, it's not impossible. But then, uh, you know, you also want to look, you're like, okay, uh, a good plan I've always been told is you have your every year plan, you have your three to five year plan, and then you have your either 10 plus, your once in a lifetime See, kind I of try hunts. to do that, but my I'm known as like the nomad. So my plans change so like on a monthly basis, I would say. So before I kind of pulled out of the hunting industry a little bit back in November. Um, I'm not going to be doing as much with like the trade show stuff. I help friends out here and there. Um, I don't have any sponsors anymore. I used to run a YouTube show, um, Untamed and Unleashed, but it was all about me and, you know, my hunts. And I I do self-filming and videography for other people as well as photography. So I kind of got out of that and I rebranded into Life Beyond Limits Official, which is basically going to be about, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and stop making excuses as to why you can't do something or you know, trying to make an excuse as to why something is unrealistic or unaffordable or stuff like that. Cause so many people are just settling and just trying to convince themselves, Oh, I'll never be able to afford that. I'll never be able to take time off work. I'll never be able to do that. And it's boils down to everybody has this, everybody has a different opinion on how life should be lived. And as long as you follow your own path and your own gut feeling about how your life should be lived, you're going to be fine. You're going to find happiness. You're going to find success. You're going to be able to do things that you never thought you would be able to do or do things that people try to tell you that you'll never be able to do. So I've rebranded it into not only hunting, but like just traveling, especially women who are afraid to travel outside of the U.S. because it's too dangerous because we've been brainwashed to think that. Um, and yes, it's dangerous. Don't get me wrong. But as long as you're street smart and do your research, you're going to be able to go do those things like backpacking across Spain or going to Ireland and Scotland and going bird hunting like I'm planning on doing, you know, anything like that. So I'm basically going to be giving advice, writing blogs and helping people go do that, even if I go with them. Um, so as soon as I started doing that, I've had a lot more opportunities come my way. My plans have changed. I've moved at least twice in the past four months and I accepted a new job now. So now I'm going to be in a different state. Um, I'm actually, I have a hunt in New Zealand planned in December for tar. So we have a, a friend of mine is, has a friend that's getting married. So we're going there for a wedding and then some other friends of ours are going to drop us off in the mountains and we're kind of just going to wing it. Nice. For five days. So they're going to drop us off, pick us up. That's going to be an adventure in and of itself. I'm going to have to find a pack. So I was walking around the show, you know, at Sheep Show, I was walking around. And at here, I was walking around here in Salt Lake, just 
testing out different packs and getting fitted. And I haven't made a decision yet, but we'll see. I'm going to stick to lightweight. Um, if you haven't checked out Climate, have you heard of Climate before? Yeah, I'm familiar with so Climate. So they for have sure. amazing. I use it for fire season because we're sleeping on the, on the ground for six months out of the year. So I want to have something comfortable, something durable, something that's packable and lightweight. And they have the most amazing foam pads. Um, sleeping bag. So I don't know about you, but that was another thing from last year. I got so claustrophobic <laughs> just in the tiny little mummy sleeping bag because I've never like slept in one consistently like that. Yeah. And I'm a side sleeper, side sleeper, so I like to spread spread out a little bit. So I get so shoved in there and so claustrophobic. But Climate has ones that like um, has one that stretches out a lot more, so it's more comfortable. Plus they pack down like really small. Nice. And they weigh less than a pound, some of them. So I got set up with that. Um, There's another opportunity that I was given to go to South Africa for November and December. Nice. For fishing and hunting. So we'll see if that, if I can actually get that on the calendar and make it a solid, solid plan. So far it is, but I haven't made a decision yet, so. So if uh, people wanted to find Life Beyond Limits, where uh, where they look online, and I kind of don't really do much with Facebook anymore, just because it's getting to be pretty negative and um, just not used for what it should be. But I'm probably going to do some sort of an appearance on Facebook. Um, Life Beyond Limits official is going to be the name. So if you want to find it on Instagram, definitely look that up. I'm going to be working with Go Wild as well with a profile on that. Um, so check it out on Instagram. Instagram is where most of everything is going to be. You're going to be seeing the inside details on my fire season, things that normal people don't ever get to see, and as well as hunting adventures. So There you go. And so speaking of life beyond limits, you know, a little bit what we talked about, um, you know, this podcast is really, really pointed at folks that are, are new to hunting mm-hmm. or... It may just not have the background or access or the resources. See, and that was me when I started. I never had land. I never had, you know, a ton of guns. Everything I have, I've bought myself, so I've worked for. So it's taken me a while to save up. Like, I've shot Matthews my whole life, but it wasn't until I was 17, 18 where I could actually afford one of my own. And now that's the only bow I ever have. So I'm going to probably, I'm going to be redoing my website right now. It's still under Untamed and Unleashed. If you guys remember um, seeing that on Instagram, following you guys probably followed me through Untamed and Unleashed, but it's now Life Beyond Limits official. I'm going to be redoing my website. It's going to have a ton of blogs on how to just get your foot in the door from being a non-hunter to just doing some research on the education, like animal identification and how to hunt and like how to scout your own land, stuff like that. Me and Jason Matzinger were actually having this conversation the other day about how we really need to, as a, as a sportsman's group, just in general country nationwide, how we need to reform and redo hunter safety. So it should be not just hunter safety, it should be teaching archery, teaching weapon safety, teaching animal identification and, how to take an appropriate trophy photo, how to treat each other as sportsmen online appropriately and how to support each other and be more supportive and not so competitive, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that something comes from that 
educating people more about like the Wild Sheep Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, RMEF, stuff like that. Just getting more people involved because you have how many people, how many hunters in the in the United States? Probably, what would you guess? Oh, geez, um, a couple million. Sadly, somebody just told me this told me this number the other day, and now I can't <laughs> remember it. But. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. Yeah, so there's, I would probably guess like anywhere from three to six million hunters. I know there's 600,000 gun hunters just in Wisconsin, so, but to have that many hunters and only 300,000 involved in these, in these like RMEF and Ducks Unlimited and Wild Sheep Foundation, stuff like that, like just because you live in the East or live in the Midwest doesn't mean that you can't educate yourself on, you know, we're one nation, so you know, what affects the West affects is, affects the East in the end. So I think we should be more educated on it. I think we should hold ourselves more responsible. No, absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so somebody came to you and said, Lexi, you know, I, uh, you know, I see kind of you getting into this, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I, I just feel super intimidated. Like I said, I have no background or whatever. If somebody came to you and said that, what, what advice would you give them? Um, I actually was put in that position before. So when I was a Botech back in my younger years, there were so many women that would come, come up to the booth or the, you know, the desk or whatever, and they would be too afraid to shoot the bows because they're like, oh, I can only pull back 20 to 35 pounds. And I was like, don't worry. We all started there. Realistically, if you shoot every day for two weeks straight, you're going to increase your poundage by five pounds per two weeks. Um, that's the ratio. That's It's a pretty realistic ratio. Um, just kind of like be a little forceful and just tell them to, you know, try to be motivating, motivate them to at least go out and try it and not care about other people's opinions. But give them... Like, offer, hey, come with me and I'll show you. Just come shadow me. Or, you know, I'll connect you with somebody who you can just go with and just learn from. Because realistically, if it wasn't for a bunch of my friends, I would have never been able to learn waterfowl hunting. Like, just watching them and listening to how they call. Like, I, when I hear duck call now, I, I know if it's right or wrong or if it sounds bad or not because I can remember how they sound. And I, like, go out and listen to what they, like, real animals sound like and try to mimic that. So it's all about just kind of going out and trying it. Um, if, like, somebody's really intimidated, because I've, there's a girl that I kind of mentor at the time being. She's pretty young, and I kind of mentor her on how to go about, like, the hunting industry and hunting in, in a smart, safe way. And she's asked me for advice so many times. She's like, well, I'm just so afraid to you know, reach out to this person. What do I do? So I'm going to be coming out with different blogs and like what to do the right way, how to say things, how to hold yourself, how to be professional and stuff like that. But as far as getting out and hunting for the first time, even if you just go shoot a bow at an archery shop, see how you like it, buy a bow for the first time and just join a club, join a group, get, be surround yourself with people that are motivating and that are going to help you. Great advice. So uh, make sure you go check out Life Beyond Limits official. Follow along. Uh, I'm excited to see how the hunts go. Um, excited to get mine going too. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta start figuring out the rest of my strategies. But uh, thanks so much for sitting down and hopping on. It was yeah, a no fun problem. talk. It was nice to finally meet you. Finally. Yes. After how many shows that we've been to? Probably we've ran into each other at the Total Archery Challenge. Yeah, I was going to say. Did and you remember me when you saw me the other day? Yep, I'm that guy. Couldn't, couldn't remember my name. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> I'm a bad, bad person, but okay. everybody knows that about me at this point, I think. I'm better with faces <laughs> than names. I do it to people I've known for years. Absolutely. So. But 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 67 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all head on over to my show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 67 to get links to all of Lexi's socials and everything we talked about in today's episode. Also, before I go, I've got an exciting announcement to make. I am working on putting together a three-week road trip where I'm driving around a lot of the western states and hopefully getting to visit some of y'all, visiting my friends. Keep an eye out on my Instagram and the calendar page of my website for more info on that. If y'all are going to be around and anywhere near where I'm headed, make sure y'all hit me up. I'd love to meet anyone, maybe grab a beer, have a little mini pint night. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.